Scanny and thanks for tuning in to The Grown Up Hustle. This podcast is based on real people sharing all their different journeys as they navigate this crazy ride called adulting. From coffee o'clock to wine o'clock and all that happens in between, we're here to openly discuss how we're all just really hustling our way through life. So if you're ready for the highs, the lows and a whole lot of real talk, then stay tuned because we've got you covered. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of The Grown Up Hustle. Happy Wednesday to you all listening. Um, Actually, technically it's Tuesday at the moment as I'm recording this, but we'll hope for a happy Wednesday. I like to look at things in a positive manner. Before I kick off today's show, I just want to say thank you for all of the support you guys gave um, for the Valentine's Day bonus drops. Uh, We had so many downloads and such a positive response. So I hope you all had a great weekend, whatever you were doing, whether that was, you know, with a partner or with your girlfriends or a bit of self-love or, you know, even if you were stuck in the house in lockdown on your own, then I hope that the shows and our chat help get you through it all. I also just want to say as well, hello to all of my new listeners. My favourite thing about these weekly shows is seeing all of the different countries that are suddenly tapping in and and downloading so I couldn't believe that there's listeners in Japan and Qatar and Brunei so as always welcome to all my new listeners as well so I've got Emma Campbell on the show today Emma is the best-selling author of the book All That Followed a story of cancer kids and the fear of leaving too soon and today she's going to be sharing her story of cancer, raising four children, three of those are triplets, and how she lived her life seeking the joy in each moment and has refused to let cancer define her. And as an author, she's a columnist, she's a speaker, and quite frankly, a modern day superwoman. And I am completely in awe of her and absolutely thrilled to have her on the show today. Welcome to the show today, Em. It's great to have you on with us. Thank you. Lovely to be here. So I first came about you, obviously, through your husband, Dave. Um, For the listeners, Dave was on an earlier episode and he told me about his incredible wife. (laughs) That then got me looking into into Em on Instagram. For anyone looking to look Em up, her Insta handle is Limitless Em. And I'll be honest, I was really, really nervous about recording this particular episode because I'm generally quite an emotional person and I before reaching out to you um, actually listened to a podcast that you did uh, I think it was called on the next episode podcast yes yeah 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 and it was a beautiful podcast absolutely great but I was listening to it um, whilst doing my makeup and at one point there was quite a bit of raw emotion and then I was ironically trying to do my mascara and then started getting a bit emotional. So I was really nervous about about recording this with you, but really excited. Oh, that's well, I'm very emotional too. So if we both have a little kind of weep at some point, that's fine. (laughs) So take us back to the start of your journey, how old you were um, when you were first diagnosed with cancer and where you were in your life at that point. Sure, absolutely. Well, I was... um, I was diagnosed nearly 11 years ago, which feels incredible. Um, be the 11 year anniversary um, this coming May. So I was 38. Um, I was a newly single mum. I had a six-year-old and six-month-old triplets. Um, 
and the triplets come along after sort of years of secondary infertility and recurrent miscarriage which you know placed a lot of strain on what was already I look back and realize it was quite a fragile relationship so it was a kind of tipping point over the the IVF the pregnancy finding out we were having triplets when actually up until the point that I was five months pregnant we thought we were having twins because they'd seen two babies on the scan <laughs> you know twin one twin two twin one twin two and the 20-week scan that we took my um eldest son to you know it was a big day suddenly you know room went very quiet and we we were told that there was another baby hiding away and that's my little Theo who um yeah, for whatever reason, decided not to make his presence known. So that kind of, so that the stakes were high with everything, um, even at that point. And I'd had a lump in my breast for years, actually, in my right breast that had never changed. It was like quite a hard lump. And I remember when Jake was two or three years old, going for a mammogram. No, no, it's all fine. Nothing to worry about. And I, and so I felt very reassured by that, but it was one of those things where it always niggled me and my hand would always absentmindedly sort of prod my boob do you know what I mean when something just you know it's just something that was always there um and I got used to but it was all there was always a little niggle at the back of my mind and I wasn't really there was so much going on during the IVF the, the pregnancy the triplet news how I was feeling physically the sickness I lost a lot of weight um probably because the babies were just you know taking everything um and also unfortunately there was a lot of stress so I was kind of running on quite a lot of adrenaline so there was a there was a point where I felt the lump change but a I wasn't in a fit state to kind of address it but also I just thought well like I've just said you know IVF expressing milk around the clock all of all of that stuff it's easy to kind of decide that there's another reason though I think if I'm honest I probably I just wasn't ready to face it. Um, and then my, my partner and I split up. And a couple of weeks later, I was um, breastfeeding the babies. Well, not sorry, I wasn't breastfeeding the babies. I was feeding the babies through the night, which was always like a kind of relentless task. And um, just for some reason, my hand sort of went under my armpit and I felt a little lump, a hard, a hard lump under my armpit. And I think that was the moment where I was like, oh God. And I think I I knew, you know, I immediately made that association of lymph nodes. And but it still took me a little while longer to make the call and to kind of face it. Um, I just think I'd been in such a state of heightened stress for so long with everything, just getting through, getting by with the babies and, and, a, and a lot of unfortunate drama. But finally, just before, you know, the Maybank holiday weekend um, in 2010. I found myself having a mammogram, scan, ultrasound, biopsy. And by the end of that day, pretty much knew that I was going to be receiving a cancer diagnosis, which I did the following week. Everything happened very, very quickly. How old were your kids at this point? Uh, Jake was nearly seven and the triplets were, yeah, six months old. They were born in December. Wow. So it was, as you can imagine, it, it, it's very different to kind of experiences that happen further down the line. But, but at this point, I was already at a kind of rock bottom, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally. So it as devastating as it was, I think it was almost like I, I almost felt like I already couldn't go any lower. You know, as, as joyful as it was to have the miracle of these babies after such a struggle, it was there was no, unfortunately, and very sort of 
painfully to this day, there was very little room for the joy of that because I was in this kind of survival mode. Um, so yeah, the, the little lump that had been there all those years had, had changed and had become a five centimeter tumor with lymph node involvement. So I had chemotherapy um, to shrink the tumor, um, a mastectomy, reconstruction, radiotherapy, hormone treatment. So that next year, you know, up until, yeah, so kind of the next year or so was very much consumed by dealing with dealing with the cancer. Um, but it was a very practical time because I didn't have the luxury in inverted commas of being a poorly cancer patient and sort of lying in bed every single day. And I'm not, I'm not saying this in a, I'm so amazing. I had a huge amount of- Oh no, you are amazing. Support. <laughs> no, but it was more that, it's interesting because since you know my health in the last few years how different it's been but then I think there was something about in a way it's probably a good thing because I was a mum of four incredibly needed and relied upon every single minute of every day I had to I, I had to get up every single morning and I had to so it was very much a kind of routine of either feeding babies you know washing laundry all of those things at, and the hospital and the treatment. How did you actually cope? I mean, raising one baby, difficult enough. Raising three babies, incredibly difficult. Raising three babies yeah. on your own, your partner's lap, yeah. and you've just been diagnosed with cancer. I, uh, I know. I mean, I do look back and I don't... All I can say is it's... I think you look back at times that incredibly challenging and you don't really know how you coped other than you had no choice but to cope and I think that maternal kind of drive and and it is something I had I simply had no choice you know but I had I had incredible network of friends and neighbors and the community I was in that kind of the word spread in a way I guess I was a bit of a talking point in the area and people I hadn't people the, the, you know I talk about this a lot in my book the random acts of kindness the unexpected incredible gestures so you know the kind of the nursery school mums I'd made when my eldest son was born were the ones that did this incredible rotor of help so you know dropping meals off and taking bags of laundry away and taking the babies out for a walk and and handing one baby to another and you know that was amazing and then there'd also be crazy situations you know I remember coming back from chemo one day and a friend I'd lost touch with years earlier had turned up while I was at the hospital and it had stripped the beds and mopped the floors. And she'd gone. I didn't even see her, you know, but it's like, oh, yeah, that lady Nikki came round. And it's like, Nikki, I remember Nikki, you know, so many wonderful things. Um, so that's what got me through on a practical level. And I was I carried on in survival mode. And unfortunately, you know, the relationship, there was no neat and tidy ending. So that continued to be a great source of stress, very sadly. Um, but I came through it. My body responded fantastically. I, my hair grew back, you know, I recovered, you know, year on I'm, I'm, reco I'm recovering and I was, I was clear, I was can uh, free of cancer, but that's when the real sort of battle began in terms of psych, you know, psychologically, um, the next few years were pretty torturous, um, for me emotionally in terms of I got the all clear which was amazing um but the, the the hardest part really sort of was then when I had to find a way of coming to terms with what had happened um and not 
be dominated by a fear of recurrence and what I saw as you know premature death um and I didn't manage that at all I I lived with that fear for a very very long time um and it was all centered around the babies and and Jake and this feeling of I'm going to leave I'm, you know I'm not going to be here I'm not going to be here I'm not going to be here and and that affected me in every level it affected how I wasn't able to be present in many situations you know I look back and think it certainly contributed to like a low level depression um and the mum that I wanted to be the mum that I dreamt of being the mum that Jake had you know pre-cancer was not the the mum that I felt they had anymore um and the guilt was enormous that this mess this sort of mess in inverted commas had happened since they were born you know the separation the illness me potentially you know wanting them so much having IVF was it the IVF that possibly triggered the change in the lump you know so I thought I was very good at bringing everything back to me being responsible so almost like well I've got I, I, I've got these babies they're the most precious things in the world and now I might not be here for them and that just was something I couldn't let go of um, and then as a result kind of even from, from a parenting point of view and I probably still struggle a little bit with this now you know that thing of as they grew as they became toddlers and three four five-year-olds you know not always putting those back, finding it hard to be consistent, just wanting them to be happy. You know, that very short-sighted approach to parenting of, I just want them to be happy. Well, actually they're little buggers at the moment and they need, you know, they need some boundaries. And, but also, you know, and then, and obviously then that's not really even taking into account the kind of fatigue that, that lingers when you've had cancer treatment, you, you know, that can be, even when you, you're lucky enough just to have a primary cancer that then is gone forevermore, the fatigue from chemo and radiotherapy can really linger, you know. So there were just so many factors at, at play for a very long time. Um, so that sort of took us up to, well, just around about the time of their fifth birthday. Um, and I was, you know, heading towards that five-year clear um, and feeling physically brilliant. Um, emotionally, there'd finally been some closure with their dad in a way that meant I felt fully free and the kind of dramas were, were sort of gone permanently. Um, and so I really felt like I was on the cusp of a whole new wonderful chapter. You know, Jake was starting secondary, Jake had started secondary school, they'd started reception. It was like, oh my goodness, I've actually got some time and started to think about ambitions that I buried, my writing and maybe maybe one day I'll date again. I even went on a couple of little dates very, very gently, you know. So I really, and I was exercising and I remember just feeling like I've done it, I've done it. You know, I've come through this five years and I've, I've done it, I'm there. And then, you know, lo and behold, um, just at the time that I was falling head over heels in love with Sober Dave, <laughs> my husband, I was also noticing symptoms and the day before I met him for the very first time I was told that my cancer had returned um, and that was at the end of 2014 so again just absolute extremes you know um, two polar opposite experiences that were happening simultaneously that one was wonderful and one was horrific and of course this time around this diagnosis put me in the secondary category which was my biggest 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 fear in all those, in all those 
previous years, that word, I couldn't even say it. And even, do you know what? Up until quite recently, I think, I mean, I still don't, I'm very mindful of the words I use. I don't, I don't continually go around. I don't identify myself as I'm a secondary, you know, stage four. I, I, I just choose, doesn't really do me much good. So I, it's not a word that trips off my tongue easily now, but for years I couldn't, I literally couldn't even say it. The fear was so great of ever being in that category because to me, I thought it meant, you know, you get a secondary diagnosis, then you're literally, you know, you're, you're tying up the loose ends of your life and you're going to be in a hospice and you're going to die, <laughs> you know? So that was my, there was no in between. And of course, thankfully, I now realize there's a lot in between, you know, that was six years ago. Um, and yeah, so that was, that was the first recurrence. And then two years ago, my cancer moved around again, but you know, currently sitting here talking to you now in, in remission again, but on lifelong treatment, lifelong targeted chemo. For you going through that second diagnosis, you had been on that, that sort of edge of constantly being worried to then when you did get that second, that, that second diagnosis, I mean, was it the same feeling of my world is falling apart? It was worse. It was worse because you know, like I said, the first time round, I was already on the floor. And I think the minute, as devastating as it was, once, once I got on the chemo path, and, you know, the oncologists were very, we can deal with this, we can sort this, you know, this is a primary, you know, the lymph node involvement isn't ideal, but, you know, they got it, they got it all. I had a vet, so, you know, after all the surgery, I was cancer free, and, in as good as a position as we could be so there was every reason at that point to think that I'd be lucky or hope I mean I didn't live like I thought I was going to be lucky but on paper you know it was just the further time went you know the more chances are that I was going to remain well forever kind of thing um and then second time round, it was like oh it felt like well that's it there's no going back now I'll never not be a breast cancer a, a cancer patient ever and again like I said that secondary word and at that point on that very day that I was told something was wrong they, they'd seen a shadow on my lungs so at that point I thought I had secondary breast cancer in the lung which had always been a huge fear of mine it turned out not to be the case um, and the recurrence was actually quite localized in my skin but it just yeah it it was much more devastating because, and also I was on the cusp of finding happy personal happiness that I'd never experienced before. And like I said, everything was becoming, there was an element of stability now that I'd, I'd worked so hard for. So it was, it was much, much even tougher, even tougher. How did you manage with the kids? Did, I mean, obviously for your first diagnosis, the, the triplets, they were babies, your other son was slightly mm. older and then for your second diagnosis I mean how how have the kids how did the kids deal with that news when you obviously had to explain it to them and how, how do you yeah. think it's affected the kids growing up and how, how they handled it yeah well well it's again very different there's a six and a half year age gap between Jake and the triplets so Jake was nearly seven when I was diagnosed first time around and I knew I was going to lose my hair so it was very much a darling you know mummy's got a lump but we're going to make it go away. But the, the nasty medicine is going to make my hair fall out, but it's going to make the lump go away. And, um, and you know, I knew that I was going to look very, very different. So I, ha- I had to tell him and it was the right thing to do. He was six, nearly seven in his Spider-Man costume, you know, amazingly resilient and adaptable. 
as kids of that age often are. And the triplets obviously were babies, ob oblivious. Second time round, when I got that secondary diagnosis, um, I didn't lose all my hair. So they, again, they were five. It's still very, very young. Jake, Jake knew and Jake was 11, 12. And yeah, uh, he's a very, um, he, he internalizes a lot. You know, there's a lot he doesn't, he doesn't talk about, but he seemed to cope okay. Um, it hasn't, it, wherever it's gone with him, it's currently gone somewhere inside. It hasn't showed itself in a, in a behavioral way, in a rebelling way, in a sort of going off the rails in any way, or, you know, he's just, yeah, I've just got a, and he's 17 now, 17 and a half. And I've just got a, you know, I just look at him and think he's so amazing and he's coped with so much and it's, he seems to be, <laughs> you just don't know, you know, just got to hope that there's no nothing lying in wait that's where it's all going to come out for him in a, in a destructive way but the, with the triplets second time round, um yeah I think they knew and it was like mommy's a bit poorly again and but I'm going to be you know I think it was but I'm going to be okay and and they had everyone rallied round again obviously it was different because they were at school so there was less of a need and they were sleeping through the night so you know I was able to get an unbroken night's sleep which is just so crucial um and friends and family were brilliant sort of there were lots of play dates there were lots of sleepovers for them there were lots of distractions um and then alongside that you know I'd met this man I'd met Dave and he didn't meet the kids for quite a while but um I would had this incredible lovely other focus and you know he made the decision even though I was very much like look you need to walk away you've met me and I'm ill and it's a nightmare and he didn't obviously um and so once we were kind of officially together which was very very quick he was there by my side you know um and again family were amazing they wanted me to have the respite of, of emotionally mentally so I was you know because I wasn't in a situation with their dad where they were alternate weekends or holidays so there was none of that kind of pattern so I was very much reliant on other forms of help. And my mum would often come and stay on a Saturday night so I could go and have 24 hours at Dave's house every other weekend or something. And, you know, so that was like my little respite bubble. It was amazing. So I had the physical break of not having to be in mum mode. And he would just look out, you know, and it was that lovely time with my new boyfriend that I was head over heels in love with and I could forget about cancer for a day or two, you know. One thing that I really was struck on when I started um looking into you I'm not sure if that's the right right way to it one of his, his first came came about you your story your journey yeah with your limitless n um on instagram was the fact that i'll be honest with you um i'm you know yeah i'm not too far off 40 and i don't think i've ever in my whole life and i mean this hand on heart come across anyone that is just so inspirational it's like no matter what life throws at you, you it's like you just run at it and oh. keep keep going oh gosh it's so funny. It's so funny that you say that because that is so completely the opposite of how I've felt for most of my life. Um, and that's such a sort of huge part of what I'm now feeling that I want to share and and kind of document that kind of progress. But you're very real. Yeah. You'll say on your for anyone who ha hasn't looked at M's Instagram, you know, for your, your IGTVs, your daily stories. When it's a shit day you'll say you know what today's a shit day but it's okay yeah exactly I think but that's that's all, all a lot of those big changes and, and mindset 
shifts have come about in the last couple of years. I was always someone who was sort of very, always sort of reading self-development books, you know, self-help books, as you might want to call them, and always fascinated by other people's stories of overcoming things. And But I never, ever, ever had any confidence or belief in my own resilience. I just honestly didn't. I didn't ever feel... That's why I think it was so easy for me to go into catastrophic mode because I didn't ever feel like I could cope. And I don't know quite where that came from. You, you say you're in catastrophic mode or you were in catastrophic mode, still running at it and lifing so efficiently. You didn't give yourself yeah. enough credit almost. No, and I think I'm starting to now see my progress and I'm proud of that. And the limitless um, sort of handle on Instagram, I changed that um around just after my I think it was just after my third diagnosis at the beginning of 2019 I'd always been known well known <laughs> known by a handful of followers as um m plus four because I was Emma with the four kids m plus four you know is that m with the triplets m with the four you know that was and the limitless thing really was it felt like it just felt like the perfect change because it was less of a because fundamentally I believe that we all have limitless potential but I hadn't really known how to harness my own and it was I changed the name because it almost like not because I thought oh I'm so limitless and amazing but more as a daily reminder to myself that I am and that we all are do you know do you know what I mean that's the kind of reason behind the the handle change and that really fits now and I I, I passionately passionately believe I do believe in my own limitless potential now and everybody else's doesn't mean I can always access it but I absolutely know it's there it's just it all comes down to the self-talk and the thoughts we choose to think and the things that we choose to focus on whether we choose to focus on what's working in our life or not working in our life and that's been a transformative realization for me that the more I can turn the volume down on the things that aren't working and the more I can pump up the volume on the areas of my life that are the more my life changes in the direction I want it to. And that's, I, I would shout that from the roof, to, from the mountaintop, because I feel that so strongly. You, um, you've written a book, which you can tell us a little bit more about now. But with writing that book, obviously, it was, it was telling your story. Where did the idea for that come about? Was it something you'd always, had you always been into writing? Yeah. So I've always, I mean, I'd spent years trying to be a writer. But again, I think, not knowing my own potential I was so consumed with by things that were going on at home and and the, the kind of dramas that I seemed to attract that it was a bit of a buried dream you know I was I was doing bits and pieces here and there and funnily enough the first chapter of the, the actual book I'd written that first chapter probably four or five years earlier you know because for years I think god I, want, I need to get this down and I was blogging I had a regular blog and um and I so it was something that I was doing but not fully able to commit to because my head just wasn't there um but the, it was like a buried dream if, if you like and then by an incredible moment of wonderful synchronicity um the man who became my literary agent someone said oh you should read Emma's writing you should read her blog she's great she's got an amazing story and he read it and took me on as a client and then I was I wrote a proposal and I was lucky enough to get a book deal so it's at absolute dream come true you know it was a pinch me it was all I'd ever wanted work career wise you know it was like imagine you know and it was happening and and what was incredible and wonderful was that I was able to write the book that I wanted to write and um 
there was lots that couldn't be put in there, you know, and then it was, it was very, very mindful that the kids will read it one day and I needed to be able to have a really clear conscience about writing my truth, but also writing from a place of just my own responsibility for some of the awful things that happened and um, trying not to, yeah, trying to just write from a place of, from my heart, I guess, um, the real truthful story. And I know that's what I did. Um, and it was just the most, it was, it was a hard experience, but it was just, I was in a bubble of bliss because I was doing someone, they, I'd been, you know, they wanted me to write this book and that was just the most amazing feeling. So I was very happy and almost like a cathartic release getting your story out there. Very cathartic. Yeah. And, you know, there were certain, I mean, one particular, I can go back to that paragraph now that I was, I'll never forget. I had a, it was, I think it was like a Tuesday afternoon and it was quite early on in the book. And I had about 20 minutes before I had to go and pick the kids up from school. And this, you know, I was sitting at the kitchen table and tears streaming down my face as I was writing, which, which is still to this day, one of my favorite bits, because it's just, God, it's a raw, you know, raw, 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 raw words on the page. Um, and also I think, yeah, no one can ever take away from me now that that book, that story is there in tangible form. And the kids, when they're ready, can read it and they will, for all the mistakes I've made, you know, hopefully they will know that everything I did came from a place of deep desire for them and their well-being and my love for them, even though. I have many failings, you know, and many low moments as a parent. So, um, so that was brilliant. And I'm currently working on a proposal for a second book, which I, you know, who knows, but I'm really hoping that that will happen. Just for the listeners, do you want to give us the name of the book for anyone who's looking to to buy it? Where they can get yes, it? Absolutely. Yeah, it's um, called All That Followed: A Story of Cancer Kids and the Fear of Leaving Too Soon. It's very much, it's a memoir, but it's very much sort of running through the book is the struggles, the huge struggles I had with, um, you know, the fear of recurrence. So almost kind of really not living a full life, you know, living, you know, kind of half a life really. Um, but there's some beautiful moments, you know, there's lots and lots of wonderfully uplifting stories of, of kindness, friendship, women supporting women. And then obviously, the incredible story with Dave and how we came to be together and the timing of that. So there's a lovely, it's, it's because, uh, you know, I know that I always used to be, I would avoid any kind of cancer memoir like the plague. I just couldn't even read an article. I was so, because for me, you know, most cancer books where someone was writing their own experience, my, in my experience, it always felt like by the end of the book, that person was no longer with us. And the final chapter might have been written by their, husband or wife or and I just so I know and lots of people said to me oh, I just can't read your book I'm sorry and it's like god I totally get that but actually there's nothing to be scared of there's a lot of very dark raw bits but there's also a lot of optimism and you know it doesn't yeah there's it's 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 not a sad ending <laughs> obviously well I'm still here so so another thing that I did want to discuss with you Anne is obviously the ups and downs of last year and going through cancer treatment um 2020 obviously was a huge yeah. game changer to the end degree for for so many people suffering um with cancer waiting for diagnosis and something that I think mm. is already horrendous enough to go through without that added stress and I was just wondering what your thoughts are on how things have been 
handled, how things have been managed, how you found your little trips? Um... Yeah, it's been, I mean, I, the main thing on a, on a personal level is the, the overwhelming relief and gratitude. I feel that my, my third diagnosis came the year before and not last year, you know, so I, I had in 2019 pre-COVID, I had lung surgery and my second mastectomy so that was two lengthy stays in hospital to as well as embarking on a new chemo um regimen um and obviously that I was lucky that that all happened without any interruptions um you know and I so I dread to think last year if we'd been dealing with covid and cancelled operations how that would have been um I've lost friends this is certainly one particular um friend whose treatment was interrupted very early on in the COVID thing, COVID situation, and she died. Even, I mean, her prognosis wasn't looking good anyway, but she, it's certainly the feeling is that she died prematurely. Absolutely heartbreaking. Um, I've had, I, you know, when COVID, within the first lockdown last year, my oncologist decided I missed one cycle of my targeted chemo when things are at their peak, because he just, you know, they were just trying to minimize hospital visits and treatment. Um, and I'm due in there next week. And actually we're going to speak on Monday and depending on how things are, he might again have me miss a cycle, but that I'm very lucky because I'm currently in a stable, as far as I know, touch wood, um, you know, I'm in a stable place where my treatment is like a maintenance chemo. I'm not, dealing with a new diagnosis I'm having, not dealing with progression I'm not I'm not hugely immunocompromised you know so technically I'm on the highly vulnerable list you know stage four on ongoing targeted chemo but I'm not particular. you know I'm not I'm not picking up every bug yeah. going and so for me I just think oh I was just so fortunate so fortunate so fortunate and I I you know such a part of that cancer community and I'm the stories I'm witnessing and observing are just so different and it's and there are so many people that like you know conversations around all the misdiagnoses this year and last year and the kind of ticking time bomb and the message that needs to be hammered home that you know the NHS is still open and that, that your GP is still there and I remember my GP ringing me up last year saying just checking in we're here you know because people weren't people aren't making those calls yeah so it's just the fallout is undoubtedly horrendous um as far as cancer world is has been affected and I think that's we're going to be living with that for quite a while to come and we just that's yeah we just desperately need to move through this don't we I think the uh, I've got a, a very a very good friend and she actually takes care of our, our dogs she um had breast cancer she had her um breast removed going back about 10 years ago unfortunately she has like a, a recurring cancer um, and it's she's also got some um, cancer on her, her liver. Um, but she was saying the thing that she has hated the most of all is going to her doctor and them having a mask on because she said, I know. I can't I can't read their face she said so I don't know what they're going to tell me that day is it good news? that's so interesting that's that's so that's exactly it I'm, I talked about this on Instagram after my last cycle of you know I am finding the appointments even though I think everything's fine I'm going you know my anxiety levels are a little bit higher than I'd like them to be and you know I still get very edgy before my routine appointments and blood results every three weeks and 
in particular last time sort of really found the waiting room situation really difficult and walking into the, to the oncologist's room and you can't as a cancer patient that's what we do we read the faces everything the, to the inflection tone of voice are they smiling are they not smiling are they looking pitiful you know are they are they you know because you walk in with a big beam from your oncologist and you know you're you're on track and and I just couldn't tell so it's interesting that's exactly how it is and you know you're just desperately trying to read their eyes um but also the other thing of you know I wasn't sure if this is what you were going to say but going to appointments on your own you know sitting in a waiting room with no one to talk to chairs randomly kind of you know placed placed far away from each other um that's really frightening and I found that really tough even though again like I say I've had no bad news this year so the idea of of having to go through progression or something or a new diagnosis with no one to, no one's hand to hold is cruel yeah <laughs> it was very cruel with regards to um social media obviously I think there's highs and lows to everything and good and bad points to everything but I I do feel that um social media and other forms of like connection via technology has really come into its own in the past um year through all the lockdowns yeah. and kind of where I came about the idea of the podcast from is it's connecting people hearing about other people's life journeys and and for us all coming together through yeah. your insta handle on social media you're providing a huge platform to help connect and support other people going through you, you know a similar journey whatever type of cancer that you know they've been diagnosed with and also you're offering support for people who maybe are not brave enough or quite ready to deal with mm. going for that diagnosis I know and it's funny because there every there are so many accounts and there are so many accounts that are much more vocal than me and much better better at it than me of really every single you know they they they're a real resource for facts figures checking reminders and handling of symptoms and I think that's incredible um I tend more to talk about the emotional aspect of it. And I I suppose my adamance not wanting to be, even though it's a part of my life, not wanting to be defined by it completely. Um, I try to make it a place where there's a lot of, there's real honest, vulnerable sharing, but also a real focus on how you can make your life work wonderfully, despite dot, 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 you know. Um, so that's, that's what I feel increasingly passionate about that, because I, I just know the devastating fear and isolation you can feel when you're newly diagnosed and how I was, you know, the feeling of this is pre-Instagram had no avoiding newspapers, avoiding if, if a cancer commercial came on the telly, I'd run out of the room, you know, trauma, such sort of raw trauma that I wouldn't want someone would say, well, I've got a friend who's been, do you want to meet up? No, I don't want to meet up because I was so scared of hearing a story of something that I thought would then be my future so I think it just feels like an incredibly for me safe space and I think if someone if I was if I'd had access to what I've got access to now as a newly diagnosed you know young mom whatever whoever I think it would have just given me such hope and that's what I want to show you know I don't know what's around the corner for me I don't you know life continues to be fragile for all of us um and of course, I'll always live with that lack of certainty. But I, I just 
want to show the the me of 11 years ago and anyone else who's at the start of their journey that you really can still live a good life and, and experience joy and you can minimize the fear and you can find some kind of acceptance acceptance and peace with a diagnosis um you know that's that's my passion these days increasingly so honestly you put that video up the other day on IGTV of if I could speak to myself 11 years ago and that yeah I mean the the I I obviously read through the the response that I I, I read a lot of the responses you get from your but but the response you got from <laughs> so many people just saying thank you well I'm so pleased I did that because I I've never I haven't you know I very happily chat on stories and stuff and I don't mind talking in front of people but hadn't quite really gone down the sort of actually I can really put something on on that grid permanently that people can look at and share and I've been toying for I thought I really would yeah I've got to do that some kind of what I would say to my younger self my newly diagnosed self and it's funny because that was the kind of first take if you like and then I was like oh maybe I'll you know adjust the lighting or I'll change my and actually no, that was so. It's not perfect, but it is just a very kind of heartfelt. Um, and like I say, it's less. It's it's really focusing on the emotional side of it, rather than check check your boobs, check your boobs, which we know and is valuable. But there are so many other layers. Yeah. But that's the beauty of your account. There are so many other layers. You know, obviously, it's going through the journey and the support, but it's also discussing. You know the effect on your mental health as well as your physical and and day-to-day life and how to deal with it well the thing is if you can get a handle on the the mental and emotional side of it then there's nothing you can't handle that is and that's what I've learned you know whereas I think okay I just got to get through this physically I've just got to get my hair back I've just got to get my strength back that's brilliant and a huge blessing but actually you know if you're struggling to function throughout each day and living in such a heightened state of anxiety and distress then it everything else as we know becomes sort of meaningless you know but if you can really get a handle on your mental and emotional approach and your your health and well-being then I think emotional health and well-being then I think and I without sounding too far out there I think you've got a much greater chance of staying well as well because I know that for me um certainly the first time um I was diagnosed my stress levels and anxiety levels in the months leading up to that were just through the roof as well um you know so that can't have helped my immune system and my body's defense and do you know what I mean and I think yeah I've I've finally at the age I am kind of realizing that happiness is something that I really deserve and that I can choose to seek it out despite being the dreaded stage four secondary cancer patient and I think for years, for years, I just thought I had to live with a certain level of unhappiness just to be alive. You know, well, I'm alive, therefore I always have to live every day with this feeling of, is, the, you know, is my world going to crumble again? Is something terrible going to happen? Is this the beginning of the end? And whereas now it's like, you know, I want to live a long life more than ever, but I also realise that it's safe for me, yeah, it's safe for me to allow myself to be happy. And actually the price of life doesn't need to be living in this high alert, hyper vigilant state, you know. 
Thank you so much, Anne, for coming on and speaking so openly today. And for anyone that wants to read more about Anne's journey, then get onto her book. Uh, it's on Amazon. And is there a Kindle edition as well? It's on Amazon, obviously, at the moment. All the shops are closed. Um, you might be able to get it in Waterstones. But yeah, may, I would say probably Amazon is. There is a Kindle. Is There's not an Audible, um, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, there's, there's Amazon paperback and Kindle. Perfect. And uh, for anyone else who um, is looking to learn a bit more about Anne or is going through a similar journey themselves, reach out to Anne. She's on absolutely Limitless Anne. She's an absolute wonder, miracle superwoman. I take on you. (laughs) My head. Oh, so lovely to chat to you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in as always, guys. If you want to connect with Emma, then head over to the Grown Up Hustle podcast on Instagram, where you're going to find Emma tagged on the grid. Give us a follow whilst you're there to be first in line for up and coming show info. And if there's any show topics or chats that you'd be keen to hear, then feel free to slide into my DMs with your suggestions. Also, don't forget to subscribe to us on whatever platform you're listening on. Next week, we've got Mel and Sinead on the show from the Imposter Club podcast, and we're going to be chatting all about imposter syndrome, what it means, how it affects us all, and some tips and tricks to battle that inner voice inside that tells you that you can't. I hope you all have an awesome week, everyone, and I'll catch you all soon.